Hey, and welcome to another episode of the Superposition Podcast. You're listening to episode seven. How are you doing, Christopher? Great. Uh, it's been a been another interesting week. A lot, a lot of things going on. How are you? How are you holding up? Oh, doing well. No complaints. Uh, we, uh, I, I have a new microphone, which I hope um, is appeasing. Noticeable. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 I mean, it's been fascinating for the people who have listened through the first like seven episodes. There's like an evolution of what's going on in in our microphone technology. So we are we are a great example of of uh, iterative efforts. Uh, so we we try something, we fail miserably. <laughs> And then we, and fortunately, you you are you've been pretty good yeah. at uh, cleaning up stuff in post production so that it's not actually as bad as it was when it came out. Uh, but uh, but we've we've both advanced now to some legitimate equipment, uh, and I think that that may be helping. So hopefully, it's helping. Absolutely. I mean, just think what this will sound like twelve months from now. It's going that's, to be that's right. I mean, we'll both sounds like sound like James Earl Jones, and I mean, it, it's it'll it'll be you I know James wait. James Earl Jones and Barry White, and it, it'll just be unbelievable. People will just come in to hear the soothing sounds of our voice. It'll be comfort food for people. I think. Yeah, we actually <laughs> have a a planned um, uh, program to help you go to sleep. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Well, uh, I think I think a lot of pastors have that same program. Uh, it happens <laughs> Sunday morning uh, in churches around America, uh, yeah. and we have it down to a science. Uh, so, 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 what has what has been going on? Uh, what has been uh, you know getting your brain synapses uh, going this week uh, in tech news? What have you seen uh, that that's been interesting to you? You know, it's been interesting just looking at um, the last couple of weeks have been very interesting for social media as a whole. Um, I, I do some some work in the social media space, and so I I like to keep my finger on the pulse. And um, recently saw a report in terms of how social media has experienced a radical uh, leap in uptake, uh, which I guess makes sense because people feel that they, in their, many parts in the world, can't leave their homes and so they have to find another way to engage and interact with people and so in um in the last couple of weeks i've i've seen some reports that that show how exponential growth is happening on on social media and a part of that is also noticing some of the challenges that come out of that so this week has been um what really stood out was again f- first and foremost just the explosive rate of social media and not so much traditional. Uh, we think about video uh, really driving the conversation. Um, and then secondly, the implications of that. So thinking about, you know, how do we live in a world that is ever more engaging digitally? And what are some of the negative implications and externalities of that? So that's that's been some of the things that I've been busy with both professionally and also trying to just navigate through um, personally just you know thinking about that how about you well i so so kind of on that on that on that point like we we see some exponential growth and i mean is that attributed to something at this point are people are they saying it's just because of covid or are they saying it's because of something else or uh, is that a natural phenomenon that people are identifying 
It seems like it's it's related large and in part because of COVID. Uh, so again, you know, people can't leave their homes and there's a couple of countries in the world where you literally can't leave your your physical property. So you can't you can't walk outside to get a fresh breath of air. And um, so I think this is the only way that people feel they can engage. What was interesting, however, is we saw a, a sharp rise in about the first 30 days since the first reported figure here in the U.S. And after about 30 days, it started, um, the curve started flattening in terms of uh, social media adoption and use. Um, two other uh, social media variants seemed to, to spike. One was, was video social media, so something like TikTok. Uh, I think Twitch would qualify under that as well. Um, there's a couple of other. I think House Party um, is another. Um, and online dating, which I guess is no surprise. Uh, um, it's weird to think about that, though, because you could be dating someone in your neighborhood and it would technically be a long-distance relationship while this is ongoing. Uh, but those are the those were the, the items that really stood out. And, and the theory behind it is... If you look at the uh, the exponential growth of infections, you see the same sort of curve with social media uptake. So you can get COVID or you can get Twitter or both, <laughs> and they can be bad for you. Yeah. 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 I'm well, not sure. I, yeah, I mean, I, I think it's interesting. Like, to me, it's been fascinating to watch. Um, to watch people in my social networks and kind of watch their emotional states throughout this. And some people are not as savvy about kind of hiding their emotional states. So if it's happening in their life, it comes out in their, in their social media or actually even beyond that, if it's happening in their mind, they may not, if you were with them, they may not talk about it, but it comes out on their social media. Yeah. And it's like, they, they seem to think that they're, you know, that the veil is so thick that you can't see their back there, but you still know they are. And so this is a real, like, you know, it's a real interesting place to wonder, well, how do, how do we start to think about what it is to have uh, training in virtuous behavior and creating uh, good social media etiquette. And in kind of a public square, what are our expectations of people? Uh, and I, I think, honestly, that is, it's really difficult because where you would normally look for leadership on that would be your leaders. And what has happened in the current political environment in the United States that has become primarily conflict oriented instead of trying to genuinely move towards the center uh, mm -hmm. of what, you know, of compromise and moving the country forward. It seems more about winning. Um, it, it, be, it creates this kind of contentious nature among our leadership. And then people who maybe don't know better or have, allegiances that they uh, maybe haven't even thought through fully um, gets kind of sucked into that whirlwind and 
so I see people who are really great people. I know them. I know they're great people, but they get sucked into these things. And I've really found, um, particularly on on Facebook and uh, and other places that that I need to really use that snooze feature on some people. Um, and it's not because I don't love them or care about them. It's because uh, they are not on social media who who they are in real life. And uh, that creates some aggravation for me. And so I, I just say, well, I don't, I don't need that aggravation. And I've had those conversations with people about it, but that seems to aggregate, aggregate them, or not aggregate, maybe that too, but aggravate them as well. And so when you have those conversations with people, you know, you try to be really pastoral about it. Um, but a lot of times people get defensive and at some point you're in a no win situation. Uh, and so I actually, I advocate to people like just cause you're friends with somebody in, you know, kind of your physical life, right. You, you engage somebody socially in your day to day life. Um, doesn't necessarily mean you need to be buddies with them on social media. Uh, you'll find people who, uh, and I find this particularly with academics, uh, who are very reasonable when I'm talking with them and they're very, uh, they're very astute at picking up on social cues and kind of body language and things. But if you get them on social media, it's like, who is this raving lunatic and what are they, you know what I mean? And so, uh, uh, and social media, I think can highlight the best and the worst of us. And so um, having kind of that boundary and figuring out what those things are is a, is a, is a tough, tough thing, I think for people. And, um, and I also think it requires us to have some, and sometimes like a snooze is more like, hey, let's have some grace with this person and give them some time to figure out, you know, uh, because maybe they're going through something. I, I always like to kind of check in with people to go, hey, are you doing OK? You know, and if they go, oh, yeah, I'm fine. And then it's like, OK, well, they're just not my speed for social media, whatever that is, you know, so uh, because I'm not on social media to like to be in fight club. Uh, that's yeah. just not my goal. Like, I think there's there's places in the social in uh, kind of the public square where you can have those conversations. But um, and particularly with our leadership, I, I mean, I see even the people uh, who are kind of founding agents of the American Republic and experiment like it seemed that people who were. Who would have sharp criticisms of one another would still get together and talk about what was important for the Republic. And at some point, there was a t point at which they'd say, yeah, this is all just politics, but, uh, you know, let, let's have, you know, let's have a relationship beyond that because there are things that are more important than the Republic even. And, and so I don't know that, I don't know that society has got to a place where it says, um, these are things that are more important than, you know, than our interests, uh, necessarily. And, and maybe that's because they don't recognize that creating unity and healthy relationships is in their interest. Maybe they don't see that yet. Um, and so, sure. um, so I, so I don't know. I mean, what, what, like, because you kind of, you have a, you have the advantage uh, of having a different cultural perspective of this. How do you see this like uh, in South Africa, for example, play out? Is it any different? Is it the same? Um, you know, or other places that you 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 kind of see this going on is um, is it the same trend globally in your opinion? Or 
That's a great question. I think thinking about South Africa, I think we we had very similar elements come to the fore in the South African political and social um, sphere spaces. And uh, the reason for that is South Africa in 1994, we, we had the result of our first true democratic election process. And South Africa to most South Africans was beautiful and there was hope and there was unity and there was a, a desire and a, and a drive to, to achieve true unity, even though it's not necessarily something that is easy or something that has been um, driven as a natural step. It's something that I think the nation as a whole really desired. And then about 10 years, 15 years in, we uh, saw a couple of shifts in government. Uh, and as time had gone on, we started realizing deeper and deeper polarization in the process. So much so that about 20 years later, and that would be 2014 and onwards, there was such a, a sense of, of disunity in the country that we, we saw similar things starting around that time period that we see in the US now in terms of um, name calling, in terms of, of almost these factions, these tribes within right. political thinking uh, coming, coming to the fore. And it's interesting, I, you, know, you, you talk about Twitter. I, when I was in South Africa, I, I enjoyed Twitter. I enjoyed um, using it as a source of news and information. But I, I made a decision a couple of years ago that I, I don't want to use Twitter because it brings out the worst in people. And you know, if, if I read some of the stuff happening on there, it almost triggers in me to bring out the worst in me. And, yeah. and so I've had to make a decision in, in you know, governing my behavior and my mind and where I'm at in the South African context to just say, I'm going to walk away. This isn't helpful. This doesn't bring unity to the country. This doesn't bring unity to my thinking and it doesn't inspire unity within, within the people involved. So we saw some, some very similar things. It's very interesting watching the dynamic, the political dynamic here since 2016, um, really ramping up. I mean, it's just, you know, I followed the election prior to 2016, even, even the one in, um, in 2012. And it was interesting to start seeing sort of the same wave happening in the U.S. that we had seen in South Africa. And I don't think South Africa was, was necessarily, um, I, I can't say that's one of the first places where that happened, but, you know, having been there, I saw it there. But I do think that looking at the world today, we see, we see this factionalism, uh, this tribalism spill over into the world. And people are more and more feeling that they need to, to, to look inwards and protect themselves and uh, you know, their tribe or their, their people or their group or their, their interests, really. Um, so I think it's a global phenomenon. I, I think that it's a, and I think it's a cyclical phenomenon. I don't think this is new by any means. Yeah, no, I agree with you. I mean, it's like uh, for all the musicals we want to make about like 
Alexander <laughs> Hamilton. Uh, they, the reality was, is he was, uh, you know, a quintessential name caller <laughs> early on in the, in the American Republic. Uh, we didn't write, you know, we, we, we haven't wrote about those simi- similarities to modern uh, politicians. Uh, and, and I don't see, think we're going to see Trump the musical uh, anytime. Maybe I'm wrong. Actually, that might be a great musical. But uh, I, I would watch that. I would probably go to see that. It, uh, maybe yeah. the people who made South Park, uh, they, they've had a history with musicals. Maybe, maybe they could, they could do that. But, but, uh, but I, 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 yeah, I mean, it's like, and look, I don't, I don't, um, I don't blame people for using social media to their interests. Um, the thing is, is I wonder what we're doing to inculcate thoughtfulness among people so that they can do what you just said that you did, where you, you said, Hey, uh, I realize this is having a negative effect on me as a human. And, um, and so I, this is something I need to not do. Like, I don't know about you, but, uh, I have played, and I can't, I've been trying to think of them while you've been talking about this, uh, but I've played different video games in my life where I'm like, yeah, I need to stop playing this video game. Uh, Like this video game is not helping me to get where I want to be as a human being. And it's either because it becomes a time suck or it becomes uh, a frustration or I start thinking about, man, my productivity, this doesn't help my productivity at, at all. And and I lose the ability to enjoy the game at that point. Uh, and so sometimes I, I accept that I will start a lot of games and I will never seek to finish them. Uh, and what that means for me is they just have become entertainment value. It's not like, because they're not like, I'm not proving my worth playing a video game. Now I'm not a professional gamer either, right? So for, for professional gamers, it's different. It's like, I can go play a bit game of basketball and I, you know, understand I'm not Michael Jordan. Um, and so it's, you know, I, I don't have those expectations of myself or that I'm striving to be the best person on the planet. And, and, I, and I get that. But um, but I wonder, actually, at some point, it's like, where do you make that break? Because even people like LeBron James have been very clear to articulate they're more than basketball. And they have a right to be in the public sphere and to talk about things in the public sphere because they're they're not just they're not just a basketball player. They're a human being, and human beings are complex. Uh, they have multiple opinions on multiple things, and we're all kind of on this journey to try to understand what we're doing and and you know and where we're going and what we're meant to be and how we're meant to do those things. And and so I I think there's you know it. It is this fascinating thing with technology and particularly as people of faith, when we start thinking about technology, um, for people to start questioning, uh, not necessarily is the technology good, but is it an appropriate use for them to use it? Uh, is it good for them? Uh, and because not every piece of tech may, you know, it's like, like, it's like knee surgery is great, but if you don't need knee surgery, don't have knee surgery, right? Like it wouldn't be good for you. Right. So there's nothing wrong with having, there's nothing wrong with the process of knee surgery, but having it unnecessarily probably not so good for you. Right. Like, and so, uh, you know, you wouldn't just have your heart 
you know, have heart surgery for the heck of it. Right. Like, so, uh, so what are the, what are the reasons behind that? And then as people of faith, what are the things or, or just as people in general, what are the things that ground us and center us? And what, what are those places where we go back to, to say, well, um, these are lines I'm not willing to cross because, right. And so for me, it's like, um, you know, when I was younger, I would, I was far more encourageable to get in, you know, kind of a verbal confrontation. Uh, and, and part of that was over time, I realized like, this isn't helping me and it's not helping the person that I'm, I'm getting into it with. And at some point, what is my end goal? And my end goal is to move the situation forward. It's not actually to be right. I, I know I'm not right on most things. Uh, and the longer I live, the, the more I realize that like, man, I, I need to learn more. And I, and I only have one limited perspective. Uh, yeah. What are those things that ground us? And then how do we evaluate? Well, is technology good for us? And I think if we almost had like, it's almost like creating a flow chart for somebody, you know, like, uh, if then yes, and if not, no, or whatever the thing is, and then and it's like this kind of decision tree of, is this helpful or not? And allows us to say, well, is, is this good? Because it's also like I'm finding right now as that everything's online, I'm using more technology than I've ever used before to communicate sometimes with the same people that I was communicating with before, but now I'm using like four or five programs. Yeah. And my thing is, is, well, why is that? Uh, why am I using four programs to talk with the same people? Sometimes it's because they communicate different things and they provide different value propositions. But sometimes, um, sometimes it's just dupli dupli uh, duplicate ways of uh, communicating. Um, and, you know, somebody's trying something out and experimenting and you kind of get sucked into their experiment, you know. And so, so I don't know, I, I, I wonder with those things. And then I also wonder when we start looking at that is like when you, you get stuck in the system of things, like there are these giant kind of tech systems and we've talked about this before, you know, like for Facebook, for example, where they are, they, I mean, Facebook's uh, monetary system encourages people to fight uh, because the longer you are on their website, uh, the more ad revenue they are making. And so if they can get you into an argument about something that's not of consequence um, and they can get you to, to, you know, engage longer then they make more money off you. And so they are intentionally incentivized to waste your time or to frustrate you at least, you know, at a subliminal level, you know what I mean? To where it starts yeah. to manifest itself kind of physically. Um, and, and that I think becomes a really interesting thing for us when we think about, when we think about tech and, and where to, you know, what do we use and how do we use it? So I think, well, f first and foremost, we, uh, we haven't really spoken about that in our conversations, but to our listeners wondering where that came out of, uh, that's available on ChristopherBenick.com, your blog. So I know you wrote something about that, and that's a fascinating principle uh, in terms of, you know, the incentive to fight um, because you're sucked into it. But as I think about this entire 
um, challenge, this problem we face with social media, it comes back to the question that you asked two episodes ago and we discussed in the previous one, in that, you know, are we driving the technology or is technology driving us? And I think, you know, when you use the example of, of knee surgery, I think we all we all are very cognizant, at least most of us, that knee surgery is not something you go do if you don't need to do it. Um, because we understand the implications. We understand why you do it, when you do it, what the benefit is, what the risks are. And as it relates to social media, you know, this is three episodes ago we were talking about the internet and the fact that it's it's it exploded so quickly that we are now struggling to catch up in our thinking in terms of, you know, where does this fit in? And the same, I think, happened with and still happens with social media today, where we don't really know, as you said, you know, we need to we need to draw the line. But I don't think we always know where the line is. Uh, we, we, we don't understand the parameters we're working with. We don't understand the framework we're presented with uh, because it's it's pervasive and it's um, um, it blurs the lines. So we don't. We don't fully know where to go and how to engage. I think one of the things that I realized, and I remember laughing about this when I when I got into Facebook in the early years of the platform, uh, I was very big into gaming and I was very big into uh, spending a lot of my time on IRC IRC chat rooms, and I would be friends with some of the people I would have conversations with. Um, and every now and then there would be some sort of a fight and we would joke about people we would we would call them keyboard heroes you know yeah. so you would threaten driving to a guy's house and and shooting him or something like that people got really right. really aggressive crazy yeah and it's like you know anybody can say something it's easy to be a keyboard hero but to follow through with any act of violence very rarely happens because then you're presented with the real world and consequences right and that's very different you can make a well, it's, it's like in, in a less kind of confrontational way it's like being an armchair quarterback yeah right it's like it's like yeah well i i have the right answer and if they those professional athletes who train their whole lives and use every waking minute of their existence while they're in this cycle to prep for that moment if they couldn't think of it surely i sitting here on my lazy boy uh you know uh you know, drinking my beverage and eating my chips, I, I obviously am seeing the thing that they should have done. Right. And it's like, like some of that stuff does seem obvious, but it's not necessarily obvious in their context and yeah. we have the ability to look at it after the fact. Right. And so that's the same thing yeah. as, as, as tech emerges. Uh, it's easy to go. Yeah. Well, of course, you know, uh, or, um, or to make some pronouncement when nobody knows the answer. Uh, yeah. and, but it's a whole different thing to say, well, we really just don't know at this point. And, and let, me, let me just so, because uh, I can't remember what I say where anymore. It's part of getting older. <laughs> so uh, it's only going to get worse, Duncan. It's true. Oh, so, I'll, I'll, I'll track. Don't worry. I'll make yeah, some yeah, good. So, but, but on the Facebook thing, the reality is, is look, when you go on your, on your Facebook, if people don't know this, you go on uh, to your Facebook page, you know, there's a whole bunch of background data that's in your browser that essentially Facebook tracks. It goes out quickly to servers that then bid 
uh, fractions of a cent on your account. And then it comes back and you get an ad in your browser on your Facebook page. Uh, and those, those add up across Facebook's however many millions or billions or whatever the number is of accounts there are, they add up over time and it adds up as ad revenue. So, so what happens is, is while they have that incentive, they do that. Well, then to have a third party come in and actually create content in a way that keeps people engaged on the platform longer, um, encourages, you know, them to make money financially by you fighting because you're on Facebook commenting left and right. Now, this is no different than uh, digital media at this point. Digital media has the same thing. So this is why, like in my lifetime, there was a point at which I remember thinking, well, the news media is actually trying to serve my interests. Uh, when I was a kid growing up, I remember thinking that the news media was a purveyor of justice and their goal was actually to root out things that were problematic. And now, if you think about the media, you think about everybody being in a camp. And part of that is because they are encouraged to put you into a camp so that you, so that their base will fight and comment and read and spend more time so that they can make money. And that's a necessary process for them to continue to exist uh, because it's gone away from kind of newsstand media to to you know how long somebody's actually viewing so so that that's a process that's happening and if you're not aware of it you don't realize that hey i'm getting baited into this now it can be things that are mundane it could be even games right that just have but but even gaming is geared to be addictive uh and to pull you back it's it's why like if you're on level 3984 of candy crush uh, probably what you don't realize is it was set up that way. <laughs> like that's very intentional to get you addicted into that process of it. So yeah. being able to teach people to be self-aware of those things so that they can make realistic uh, and helpful decisions, I think is, is super important as we think about, um, you know, who we are as people and who we want to be moving forward and then what technology we're going to engage in. So, and and I and I would challenge people, the people who are creators who are actually who are actually making a bunch of money using social media, most of those people that I know are almost never on social media until they post their creations. Uh, and then sometimes they'll interact with the people who interact on their page simply to show it's like when people say, Well, we want to make sure you felt heard but they really have no intention of doing anything with what you're saying. Uh, they they want to make sure you felt heard, not that you were heard. Right. And so, uh, and then, and then they go back to creating. And I think it's important to understand that model because there's a couple things that we learn out of it. One, um, the people we think that care about us on social media may not care about us as much as we think. Uh, so, you know, they, and, and it's easy to say, well, yeah, this person's really busy and whatever, but how much are we emotionally getting invested in that situation and that relationship when it's one-sided? Uh, I think that's really important because if we are getting emotionally invested in it, then we are actually advocating for somebody who doesn't really know us or care about us. And then are we actually engaged in a real relationship? 
because it's not two ways, right? Like, so, you know, if you love somebody and they don't love you back, uh, you're not in a real, you're not really in a relationship and the way that you're hoping you're in a relationship. Uh, now you, you can have a child you love and they may be angry with you and not care about you or whatever, and you're still going to love them. That's, that's, it's not to devalue that. Uh, but it's not a mutual relationship uh, in, in that same way. Right. Uh, and, and the, you mentioned the online dating thing, which is fascinating, but I think people of a certain generation, they don't even consider that like online dating is like the primary way that people, people connect. Yeah. And it's just dating. Yeah, that's right. It's just dating. That's right. And, and people have developed, uh, and, and I would love to see, I bet there's a, I bet there is, there are articles about this, but, uh, over and over, but, I've heard enough people talk about what their filter process is for online dating. And it's like, you know, you're applying, you're applying to have the opportunity, you know, to go on a date with so-and-so and, and it's like a job interview, you know, and uh, there are qualifications and there's things that if you don't meet those qualifications, you're just, you're not going to be in the consideration pile. And, and all of that is just to say like, um, it really, I wonder what that does emotionally to people, uh, because at some point, um, I would imagine that the level of depression that comes from that, because it doesn't feel like, Hey, they really care about me. There's not a deep connection. Uh, and I think actually this was something that we see in the early church where, um, you know, widows, for example, that didn't have any social status flocking to the church because all of a sudden they were being proclaimed that to them, you have value. But if all it was was a proclamation and then there was never any relationship beyond that, I think they would have just said, yeah, well, this is great. They're feeding me and maybe it's better than my other alternatives, but you wouldn't have got the buy-in that you got in. But really what happened was is that, you know, people actually were valued and they were in real relationship. Uh, and, and the widows become kind of a transformational agent within the church. Uh, to actually say, look, we value the disenfranchised. We value the people who don't have opportunity. And that has spurred on generation after generation of kind of justice-related issues uh, from kind of those foundational teachings, right? And so uh, I wonder now kind of what is the emotional, you know, the emotional consequence of some of this. And I don't say that as a judgment against the technology. I think the technology is always emerging, I see that as uh, a product of us not being um, focused or advocating for the focus of people's, uh, you know, hearts and purpose and callings uh, in a way that helps to uh, have them live into who they are meant to be. And that's different from each person. It's different contextually for people. Um, but if people aren't given the tools, I don't know how they can, I don't know how they can make those decisions. Uh, and so um, I think, and I think that's part of what we see when you see the general kind of word vomit uh, that comes out on Twitter or whatever. It's like, sometimes it's just people being frustrated because they don't know what the right answer is and they don't, they don't know where to turn. Uh, and, and I don't know that that's their fault, uh, but it, it speaks to me that there's a, that there's a real need there. And if people could start to identify that and be able to articulate a way forward for people, uh, it could be helpful, uh, as far as helping to, uh, to take care of these 
things that I think are probably having mental health impacts on people uh, having anxiety issues related uh, that have probably physical implications to people. Um, and, and so that's not a, that's not a critique of the tech. It's more a critique of, um, you know, what we are doing culturally and as human beings. Yeah. Well, <clears throat> I think it's unfair to blame the road for the accidents. Um, right. You know, I, I think that, um, but there are also expectations that those who, who build and maintain the road also put in place certain parameters to keep it safe. I think that's, well, and that's they change the, too, right? They change. And we yeah. talked about this a little bit about the, what is the acceptable loss of life when people, you know, talk, talk about their building processes or whatever. Right. And, uh, you know, that sounds like a gruesome, a gruesome thing, but, um, at the same time, you know, it's like I've watched in my lifetime where all the speed limits in the United States went on highways from like 55 to 75. And, and why is that? Well, some of it is that the technology got better, right? Yeah. Like cars grip sure. the road better. Uh, you have better braking systems. You had safer airbags. And so yeah. the difference between, and, and what happens is, is once people start figuring it out, and this is kind of Kevin Kelly's technium argument, the tech kind of drove them to the place where it's like, no pun intended, where they were going to speed up. And so then the police start going, well, now everybody's going 70 mile an hour. Like maybe the law's not right. You know yeah. what I mean? And so, uh, and, and so it's the same thing. Be, and, and just to say, I, you, you and I kind of talked about this a little bit earlier, but you know, where we're seeing this happen is, and Wired Magazine had a, had a article about Facebook naming the 20 people who can overrule Mark Zuckerberg. And, and so Facebook has created an oversight board who will review kind of decisions to remove content because they've been wow. critiqued of that. Yeah. And, you know, it's a pretty diverse group of people from all over the world, as you would expect and hope it would be. But one thing that Wired points out is that it's, uh, it's kind of overseen more by lawyers uh, than it is anything else, uh, which is kind of an interesting, uh, an interesting observation on their part, because it's like, well, who do we, I mean, to your point about the roads, do we, do we look to policymakers? Is that who we look for to create our, our virtue ethic? Or do we look to other folks? And if we're looking to policymakers, then what are the expectations that we have of policymakers uh, as far as their virtue? And I think all you have to do is look so far as the current situation in American political life to realize we haven't defined that. Because if we, if we had, a lot of the people we have serving us right now probably would not be in office, right? Uh, like we don't really, those aren't things we, or if we have, we haven't held to it. Uh, and that may be the other thing. Um, and so, so this becomes this really kind of unique thing. And I, and I know we're kind of wading through muddy waters to, to some degree, but it, but it's the, the thing is, is if maybe if we can name it, um, then people can start to think about, well, what are, what, how do we get to a place where we start to say, well, what is, what is the virtue ethic by which we're going to base things on? Uh, and I, I would say, for example, um, the obvious one that comes to mind is do unto others, right? Like 
you know, kind of golden rule theology. And I don't see anybody holding to that uh, in the tech space, um, you know, in particularly social media. I don't see that 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 is um, that is something that's championed like, hey, wait a second. Don't say that because we need to be kind to one another. Uh, and maybe it's because there is no accountability to actually enforce it, to your point. I think it comes back to just thinking about the keyboard warrior statement is we have in our minds disconnected ourselves from reality when we engage on social media. A picture I see in my head when I think about it is, you know, if you're if you're on a stage and you're making a proclamation, which is what you do when you say something on social media, it's it's um, regarded as a public statement. So much so, maybe just as a, an, an aside, an interesting aside um, point. In South African law, if you post something on Facebook or Twitter and it's something derogatory or hateful or slander or criminal injuria, the court will adjudicate on that as if you printed that on a billboard and put it next to the national highway. Really? So yeah. can you get sued for libel on yeah. Twitter? Absolutely. In South Africa? Really? So well, much I so know, that... I know a lot of folks that better never go to South Africa then. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> stay, stay here. They, they, will be, stay they will be trapped in litigation till the, till the day they die. It's, it's astounding. Um, and, and even more so, what's, what's interesting as well is, let's say, let's say you make a statement, Christopher, and it's libel. And I retweet it. It's as if I said it. Really? Wow. Wow. So on Twitter, if I like it on Facebook, it's as if I said that message myself. And so uh, I'm not, I'm, I don't want to make an, you know, an advocacy statement for or build a case against that thinking, but just to say there are some legal systems that consider a statement online as a public message. And so I think part of the problem is you are standing on a stage and you are making a proclamation, but I think part of the problem with the technology and the fact that people, uh, you know, their, their gears disengage when they do that, it's almost as if you're on a stage with so many bright lights that you don't realize you're actually talking to people. And you're make, you think you're making a proclamation into the void. Uh, you know, you're talking about uh, um, using the example of someone who you ask them, are they okay? And they're like, yeah, they're fine. And then they go online and they, and they you know, like an onion shed these layers. And you're like, wait a second, you know, some, there's a disconnect here. Um, you won't tell me that in person, but you'll, you'll blurt that out to the world. Right, right. And, and I think that's part of the problem is, is we, we look at technology as what we see almost this this black hole that just sucks up everything we say and we engage with other names on this platform and we use words that we would never use with a real human being hopefully um but yet we feel we can take the liberty to do that and so i think that's interesting i think we and again it's not the technology's fault uh, right. Though there might be certain incentives driving us towards that, but I think as a as a whole, technology didn't make us this way. You know, those those algorithms didn't exist in 2008 when I started seeing th that trend amongst friends. 
So it's it's curious. I think you know, as a, as a society, as people, we I think we fall into the trap of becoming entitled and self-centered when we get onto social media because it's about me and it's my opinion and it's the way I see it. And I think you know, I sometimes think that, as you said earlier, the uh, the lazy boy quarterback. You know, people on social media is the the digital equivalent of. Right of that um yeah and i do think everyone kind of thinks and i think we all think this right to some extent we 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 get into this thing where we are the armchair quarterback and i i think part of that is you know what are the things that we're doing in our individual lives to promote humility in what we're doing and and in the places where our system doesn't encourage that uh, and it, like, look, there, there are places I would say that if you don't engage in social media, um, you can put yourself at a disadvantage and particularly in tech spaces, there's people who don't engage in, in social media companies. If they don't engage in social media, um, those companies will cease to exist because they're not promoting their product. The, the question becomes is how do you create humility in that system in a way where we're, uh, we reward humility and we reward uh, integrity. And I don't know that we figured that out in the American. I mean, even if you think about it from corporate corporation standpoint, the whole like 60s uh, advertising madmen kind of phenomenon, it's like, uh, that's not about integrity. That's about uh, getting somebody to buy something, right? And so uh, whether whether it's cigarettes or it's uh, you know, whatever. And, and I think... We live with those hypocrisies now, right? I mean, it's like they, uh, you know, uh, and this is this is, you know, prominent people who are arguing about COVID are saying, yeah, well, we want to have all these regulations about COVID, but we've done nothing about cigarettes, and we know that that kills half a million people a year in the United States. So, and that's not arbitrary information. Like that is a statement of fact. Like the only yeah. reason they died was because they, you know, like so, so you know, it's like. Um, I, I think those are things that we have to figure out how to parse through, but it would be really helpful to have some kind of like, you know, have some kind of uh, methodology where people before they post something or bo before they engage, they have a little like, you know, uh, does it fit these few, few qualifications? Uh, and I've not find found something that, that works across the board on that except to say um you know at some point do we talk about does um d does what i'm saying actually hurt anyone else uh and does it honor people and you know it, it from people face perspective does it honor god um and you know if if when i post this is this something i i'm comfortable standing before the lord and and uh having represent who I am. Um, and, you know, and that's because, you know, I have that kind of sense of ultimate meaning. I don't know what that is for somebody who, who doesn't have that necessarily. Uh, and maybe that is the policy piece or the legal piece. Um, you know, but, uh, where is the accountability come in on some of that? And so it seems to me like Facebook at least wants the appearance of having, some kind of editorial guideline um 
whether those th people are just serving the interests of Facebook or serving the general public, I think is probably another discussion. Um, but then uh, beyond that, I think we need to we need to really start to think about like, um, you know, how do we determine is is it just companies they just get to decide what their own statute is like on this? They just get it's like uh, why are there not requirements? for some of these companies to have ethical review boards. Um, you know, if you create a new pharmaceutical product, you have to take it, uh, you know, you have to take it before a federal commission uh, that approves it, which I think people have questions about the federal commission as well. Right. But, but yeah. people, uh, but I don't think people would say that regulation is bad. You know what I mean? Uh, because it has to do with the health of people. Uh, and, and I think those are, those are the kind of conversations we have to say, well, what is, what regulations are helpful? What aren't, how, how do we, how do we um, not let, how do we allow entrepreneurs to continue to run, but also have to consider the well-being of others? I mean, we don't want, I don't want Mark Zuckerberg to stop. I want him to be driven. I want Facebook keep going. Uh, but yeah. I do, I, I don't want them to do it at any cost. Uh, and you know, it's, at some point, how do we how do we think about those things? And then and then even more importantly, maybe how do we as individuals uh, and communities and people who are in relationship with one another, how do how do we make those decisions in thoughtful ways and create some kind of standard to talk about these things? Uh, and obviously, that hasn't been. You know, we haven't figured that out and we're not going to figure it out in in the single podcast. Right. But. Um, but I do think it is important to continue to name it because I think as we as we kind of hone in on it, best practices happen, and this tech gets reformed in a way where it's better. Um, and so it's just like uh, machines that have the risk of hurting somebody when you operate them. And when we see that they physically hurt somebody, then we create a requirement like, hey, that machine needs to be altered so that it doesn't physically. I think we have to figure out, okay, how are we emotionally hurting each other? And then how do we adjust the machine so that it doesn't hurt us in that regard? In some ways, how do we adjust ourselves if we look at ourselves as, uh, at least in the hermeneutic I espouse, like as divine technology, um, how do we adjust ourselves in a way that we don't hurt others either uh, and that we're actually flourishing in a way that's helpful to all parties involved so so those are big big questions um you know for us to continue to chew on uh over the over particularly while we're in while we're in quarantine uh it's a it's an opportunity for us to to really reflect on those things yeah i think that we we are lucky to um, to be able to have time to reflect on questions like this. And um, I can't remember who I spoke to in this week. It could have actually been one of our podcasts. I'm getting old as well. Um, <laughs> where, you know, we have an opportunity to to get out of this situation better than we were going into it. Um, because we have a we have an opportunity to ask questions and to sit down and ponder them and to take the time to take the steps to to improve 
I mean, there's no excuse. It's not. I was in line well, it, the other it's, day. It's like a privilege. It's a privilege to begin with, right? It's like any yeah. kind of the or theological or philosophical progress has happened has become because people have the time to actually think about it. They don't have to worry about their day to day thing. But with that privilege, also comes a responsibility. I think so. It's yeah. it's not that we just have the time. But it's like, are we making, are we being good stewards and caretakers of that time in a way where, where we're actually saying, okay, look, we know this is a problem. Um, we know these people are in need. And, and why do we look at that different than we do economic problems? Um, you know, it's like, you could, we know, we know empirically that you can have a ton of money and still have a ton of problems. Uh, that is, that's a fact. Right. And so the economic fix, while it we definitely have basic needs that have to be met as human beings, it doesn't fix the whole thing. And so if we know that empirically, then why are we not striving uh, to help identify the problem, try to find solutions for the problem, aggregate the data and do to scale for humanity the things that we need to to, you know, better ourselves, um, that becomes this, this challenge and privilege and responsibility that those of us who, ha I mean, like if someone's listening to this podcast, um, they have enough time to listen to a podcast, which means they have enough time to, to consider these questions. Um, yep. And the fact that so many people listen to so many podcasts anymore means that people have a lot of time yep. to talk about and to think about these things. And so... Um, I don't consider it just you and I who have the responsibility. It's all those other people we need, you know, to step into that space and say, okay, well, um, you know, start, let's, let's force this conversation and, uh, and say, well, what are the, what are the expectations of that? And why is it important? Well, it's important because as humans, uh, you know, are, we don't want we don't want it just to be an economic consideration. We want to actually talk about what's it look like to have holistic health for people, um, okay. and so and among any number of other things that that might be yeah. the reasons for that conversation. So, absolutely. Well, well, that's that's a lot to chew on. That is not where I thought we were going today, but uh, <laughs> but <laughs> it's kind of surprising. And, and you know, it's like this po podcast is an evolution of kind of our thinking and development on, on technological issues. Uh, it's, we, we take things that are going on in kind of current, uh, current society and issues that are coming up and we try to wrestle with them. And hopefully that's helpful uh, to the, to the listeners who are hearing it. Um, but it's also, uh, an opportunity for us to really, you know, grow and, and deepen and, and kind of expand our thinking about these things. And I think that's a good exercise for us. Uh, and so, um, so we're grateful for the people who are, are, are willing to think about those things with us. And, uh, we hope that people will continue to, uh, kind of widen their circle with more and more people who, who, care about these things deeply and want to think about these, these issues. Uh, because if you think about the things we've talked about over the last seven issues or seven uh, episodes of this, like, um, you know, it's a whole wide swath of things. Uh, but they're all like fundamental things that if we don't start looking at some of this stuff and thinking seriously about it, 
um, you can see where there's there's big time problems on the horizon. And I think I I'm not a dystopian yeah. person. I don't I don't kind of buy into that methodology uh, or ideology, if you will. But um, but on the flip side, I do think those responsibilities are are big for us to to be really you know in that space intellectually and then figuring out beyond that well what are the action items that we're actually going to take because uh, it's great to think about it too but if we don't actually do something uh, that's a bigger issue so uh, so hopefully hopefully that's been helpful to people and we'll continue on with the next thing we I mean we've got some really I think interesting things coming up and we don't even know what's we don't even know what's out there that we don't know is out there yet so uh, so that, so in the coming weeks, there's going to be even, we're going to deep dive, I think, into some other topics that, uh, that might seem far out, but, but they're really a lot closer than we think they are. And so, so, uh, that's kind of fun and exciting too. So, so, so with that, uh, we're, we'll sign off for the week. Uh, thanks Duncan. It's been, it's been great. And, uh, and we'll see you all, uh, we'll see you all next week. God bless. Thanks Christopher. Keep well.